So this morning, I've been listening to this series. I've really enjoyed it. Fear, to me, is the most important topic we can ever really be talking about. Because fear... I had a t-shirt I was going to wear because I saw Dave wearing a t-shirt last week and I thought, well, that's what you do here. You know, I'm trying to contextualize. And so I had a t-shirt, but this cold, I was afraid to wear a t-shirt. Like, oh, I'd get sicker. But I had a t-shirt um, from the book Dune, if any of you know the book, the series Dune. Um, and the, the quote on the t-shirt is, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. The thing about fear, as you've been thinking about and talking about it and looking in the scriptures about it, is that in a very real sense, whether you're a believer and follower of Christ or not, the way the mind works, as um, neurologists have figured out over time, and interesting field, neuro neurocardiology is even a more fascinating, newer field, how the mind and the heart are linked. Um, but the way fear operates is, so when we're born, in the early stages of our life, and in the early stages of humanity, we operated out of the, the reptilian part of our brain, which is all about survival. That's all it's about. Fear, fight, or flight, you know this thing, and, and Dave talked about it last week. So that part of our brain is the lowest level of functioning in our mind. That function operates based in fear. Fear that I'm not going to eat. Fear that someone's going to kill me, this kind of thing. And you don't need the rest of your brain to think like that. You need to live like a reptile to think like that. So if my life is about self-preservation and self-protectionism, if the goal of my life is to protect and promote my own life, I only need this much of my brain. And when we're using this much of our brain, we live like animals. So, but the goal of God and all of creation is that we develop forward and upward the Bible uses the word aliyah, which means to ascend. It's even the picture of going up to Jerusalem. It's the idea that we start here in life in sort of the, 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 the lowlands of crossing the Red Sea like Israel at the lowest point on earth and moving up the rest of our life. The picture in Scripture is that a person who's not in the kingdom of God lives at the lowest level of their humanity. And when we cross over into a relationship through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the baptism, through the parting of the waters, this is the whole picture all the way through Scripture, we begin this ascent upward for the rest of our lives. Not only as individuals, but as neighborhoods and cities and countries. And we go like this the rest of our life. And even the psalmist where we're going to look at is talking about the great ascent up to the throne room, to the place of God. <laughs> to do that, we have to move from this part of our brain up all the way into the frontal cortex of our mind, actually. Because up here in our brain, in our physiological brain, is the ability to dream and imagine. The ability to create is up here. It is not down here. When you 
come into a situation where fear takes hold, you actually retreat from this part of your mind backwards and downward into survival, <laughs> fight, or run. And when you go back down there, you have no capacity to think creatively. Therefore, you are a slave to the situation and you are in bondage to it. That does not depend on whether you believe in God or not. Those are the facts of how your mind works. <clears throat> so the danger of fear is that fear causes us to live continually falling short of the glory of who God made us to be. And so what we do is live a life of survival. Just survival. We just keep retreating and shutting down and closing off and withdrawing down into my safe, secure, little controlled world in which you are a bird in a cage. When the Assyrians were attacking through the Middle East in their day, the amazing Assyrians, and they were conquering every military power in front of them, wiping everyone out. And then they come into lowly Israel and little Jerusalem. And they come and they surround Jerusalem. And Hezekiah's in there, if you know this passage in scripture and in history and Hezekiah is the king and they're in there and the king of the Assyrians says he says you know what we don't even have to conquer you we don't even have to come in there and get you because you're just a bird in a cage you've got your little city and you're in it and we'll just take the whole rest of the world that's how the enemy works you're safe in your little house in your little place and the whole rest of the world the enemy owns why do we want to live like that? Because we're afraid. Why are we afraid? We've been talking about the different reasons. We're afraid, and I'm just going to say it. This simply, we're afraid because we're deceived about the reality of the world around us, spiritually and physically. We're afraid because we're deceived about who we are and who God is. Dave touched on this last week. I'm just going to go a little bit deeper into that one point. You do not know who you are. If you knew who you are, if you knew who you are right now, you would be not brave. I can be brave and just get myself killed. Bra bravado is dumb. We honor, I don't know why we're honoring this. Anyone can run into a room because they're a lunatic and get themselves killed. That's not brave. That's just, what are you thinking? I'm talking about being fearless. Fear has no part in your decision making. What would that look like? So, <clears throat> when we were living in the Middle East and one of the projects we were working on um, part of what we do, and I don't have time to tell you my background in history, you'll just have to trust me, but um, 
in my identity and what I do vocationally, your identity informs your vocation in the right, in the right situation. Once I know my identity, I know what I can do. I'll show you this in just a second. So, um, so in my identity in the kingdom of God, I have a certain vocation. My vocation has involved working for the police department, um, being recruited by the CIA, and living in the Muslim world for most of our adult lives. And working among militant Muslim organizations, that's what my identity in the kingdom does with great joy. Let me say that again. I do that with great joy. Not everyone would do that with great joy because it's not your identity. Isn't that nice to know? You don't have to be like somebody else. Isn't that a relief? Stop trying to. Stop looking at other people saying, I guess I'm supposed to be like that. That's a person with no identity talking. So in that identity and in my vocation, working in the Middle East, I was teaching a class for a particular government, and in my class were two guys from a very militant Islamic organization, and they were bad guys, bad guys. And they, um, they did not like me and the fact that I was an American, the fact that I was a follower of Christ, pretty much everything that I look like and represent, they hated. So, but they were nice guys and they're very well-educated guys. And so, one night after I was done working, I came out of the building where I worked in this Middle Eastern place and I was standing on the street late at night and I'm, waiting, I'm trying to get a taxi to go home and these guys pull up in a car. Two of them, the two guys in my class and two guys in the back seat and they say to me, would you like a ride home? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not dumb, you know, and I'm not that brave, which I associate with dumb. Um, and so I said, you know, because we're, the way we've lived our lives, and we had lived in Baghdad and before that and all that, you never get in a car <laughs> with these kinds of guys. It's like getting in your coffin. You don't do it. It's like, would you like to get in this coffin? I don't have to pray about that. No, 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 no. <clears throat> So I said, no. <laughs> However, I have this other, that's using this part of my brain, no. But what happens when I use this part of my brain? What happens when I ascend up to the transcendent part of myself, which gets information about the reality of a situation, not from myself, but from God? Do you understand that? If, I, if I'm the source of all my own information, I'm in serious trouble. If I'm the reference point of everything that's going on in the world, I might as well just quit now. We call that walking side by side with yourself. Like, what do you think, Jamie? I think you're an idiot. I'm, I do too. <laughs> I think you're a terrible father. We're in agreement. And, and so is our wife. You know, that kind of thing. Like, that's just talking to yourself. And that's what we do all the time. And here's the thing. We scare ourselves. Well, I'm going to get on the internet and try and get rid of this fear. So I listen to people that think like I do. I'm afraid of this. What about you? You're right to be afraid. We're afraid. Oh, good. That confirms it. What have you confirmed? We're not doing anything. We're going to hide. I saw it on the internet. 
I know it's true. Really? Oh, there's so much I wish we could talk about. Anyway, so, so, but a believer, a person in the kingdom of God, which, which is what made Hebrew culture distinct from all other cultures on the planet, is that they believed information, the most critical information that a human could have about reality came from outside of themselves. Unlike the Greeks, who thought it came from inside themselves. So the Hebrew thinkers can only have a language based on verbs. All of Hebrew thought is based not on nouns, verbs. Because verbs mean you have to do what you think. The Greeks came along and said, that's too hard. Let's just have stuff we can think about and never do. And the West was like, we love that idea. <laughs> and we've embraced it. Western Christians have embraced this hook, line, and sinker. Let's have a faith that doesn't require us to do anything. Because these guys in the Bible are talking about this faith that requires sacrificial death. How can we have that faith and not do that? Make faith a noun and not a verb. Yes. And then it's just abstract. Do you have faith? Yes. What does that mean? Nothing. Are you going to move anywhere based on that? No. Are you going to think differently about Islam and the world? No. It's just a noun. It's not an action. It's not a verb. That's what Greek Western rational thinking has done to kill us. And we think it's smart. So in this situation, because I'm going to use the thinking style of the Bible, which is verb-based, show me faith without works, James says, and I'll show you death. Don't, don't tell me stories. Show me. Jesus said, by your, their fruit, you will know them. Who cares what they say? Talk, talk. Cheap. So I say to the Lord, I don't want to get in this car. What do you say? So I need to think of this in a transcendent way. Greater than the reality of what I perceive right here, which is mostly false. And based on self-preservation and self-protection. And God says, much to my dismay, get in the car. Now, is there any, can you think of a time in the Bible where God says something to a person and they think that God is somehow misinformed? <laughs> it's every single person in the Bible that's had a conversation with God thinks that. This is common to humanity. It's this idea. Okay, I don't think you meant what you just said. Because you don't seem to know who these guys are. Because if you knew what I know, you wouldn't be saying to get in that car. What is that? Is that faith? No. That's the reptile talking. Like, I'm not getting in there. I don't care what you think, they think, anyone thinks. What matters is what I think. And because of that fear, I am not free 
to do whatever needs to be done. I am a slave. I am a bird in a cage. And the enemy's like, thank God he's just believing in nouns and not verbs. He can stand there and have faith and do nothing. Oh, I love these kind of believers. So I say to God, you know, because sometimes God doesn't speak clearly. And I say, okay, I think you said, and I'm sure this is wrong, I think you said get in the car. He's like, I'm not wrong, and that is what I want you to do. Get in the car, and do you want to play a game with me about hearing my voice? Do you want to play a game that, that you don't know what I'm saying to you down here in your heart? you want to play that game with me? Because if you want to play that game of this kind of prayer life, yeah, I mean, I pray for this, but I don't know, blah, 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 then don't ask me these questions. Don't ask me these questions. Why are you living this artificial, hypocritical prayer life? If you ask me a question, I will answer you, and you do what I say. And it's all based on verbs and not nouns. Get in the car or don't ask me what to do in situations. He's nice and clear, usually. So now I have the chance to obey or not obey. Let me tell you something about how you know the Holy Spirit's moving in something. When the Holy Spirit is moving in any situation, in your heart, in your neighborhood, in your country, it always involves choice. Always involves choice. He's always bringing us to a place of decision. Like this. You know what you could do right now? Do you know what you could do in your identity? You know what you could do right now? You could do this. Let's go do this together with with Emmanuel, God with us. Come with me. I want to do this thing. I made your identity to enable you to do this thing. Come with me. Choice. The choice, when the Spirit's involved, <clears throat> always involves risk. Always. And the risk always involves sacrifice. We don't like that. I like sacrifice as a noun. I hate it as a verb. And I hate it when it's a verb pointed at me. So I want to stop Christian persecution in the world. That's my goal. That way, I don't have to be persecuted. I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus meant. He sent me here to stop Christian persecution in the world. Wait, no, he couldn't have because when Peter tried to get Jesus not to be persecuted, he called him Satan. Get out of my way. Don't try and stop the sacrifice I'm going to make for the king. What's wrong with you? We're not supposed to sacrifice. We're not supposed to be persecuted. Who told you this lie? Who told you that sacrifice is something to be afraid of and avoided? Lie. And it produces fear which paralyzes you and you are a slave and a bird in a cage and God cannot do the amazing things he longs to do with you because you're belief in him is false. Your understanding of yourself is false and it produces fear. Get in the car. So I got in the car. I got in the worst part of the car. Like, can I drive? That was my suggestion. Can I drive? Why not? Why not ask, you know? No, you're not driving. Get in the back seat. Ah. Shotgun, you know, but then you don't say that to Muslim terrorists. 
Like they're like, yes, but it means something different. So the guy gets out of the back. I sit in the middle in the back. Yeah. It's like you're sitting out there going, why are we listening to this guy? He's dumb, you know? Get in the back seat. They close the coffin, the doors of the car. And they start driving, and the guy in the front seat, who I know, he says to me, where do you live? And I don't really want to tell him where we live, because Donna's there, and one of our sons lived there at the time. I'm like, yeah, just up that way. North, go north. <laughs> they turn and go south. Hmm. So they go south, and they go back down towards the part of the city that's where the militant guys are. They're like, ah, oh boy. And then they drive through that section of the city out into the desert, which is even worse. <laughs> like, oh boy. Pretty sure this isn't a tour, you know, of the country. And so the guy turns around, he says to me, we know who you are. We know who you work for. We know what you do. So what we're going to do is we're going to take you out in the desert and we're going to put you on trial in front of a cleric and we're going to cut your throat. And then he, then he said this, what do you think of that? <laughs> what do I think of that? <laughs> there are multiple responses to that scenario. What do I think of that? Here's my question. God, what do you think of that? <laughs> right? Who cares what I think of it? I think it's a bad idea. That's what I think about it. <laughs> God, what do you think about it? Now, am I fearful in that situation? I'm so reptile, yes. I'm a lizard on the seat thinking I'll do anything to get out of this car. Here's the thing. The way I've been trained, I know I can get out of that car. I know how to get out of that car. I can get out of it. And I can hurt a lot of people on the way out of that car. My problem is once I'm out, what happens then? What happens then? I'm in the middle of the desert. <clears throat> they know where my wife is. I don't gain anything by that. It's dumb to do that. What's the right thing to do? How do I overcome that fear right there? Because fear paralyzes, like Dave talked about last week. It paralyzes. It's darkness. The whole inside of that car is darkness. And I'm in the middle of the darkness. And I don't know what to do. And I'm afraid. Psalm 27. Just going to hit this briefly. Psalm 27. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, if, if, if when the men's uh, weekend comes up in February, this is what we're going to talk about in depth, this identity topic. In depth, men, I promise you, you will, do not want to miss this time together. Psalm 27. This is David talking, I think, at the end of his life. He's reflecting back. This is my view. He's reflecting back on his life. Look what he says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear or dread? The Lord is the refuge and stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In this Hebrew parallelism, parallelism right here, what he's, he's making the same statement twice in different forms, just to emphasize it. He's saying this to us, and we miss this because we're not Hebraic thinkers, we're Greek thinkers. But the Hebrew thought life is dynamic and it's holistic. He, Hebrew writers can't write anything that you can't see, feel, touch, experience. There's no, you can't speak Hebrew in the abstract, you can't speak Arabic in the abstract either, you can only speak English in the abstract. 
And so a Hebrew writer, when they're writing, what they're saying is all in images and symbols so you can feel it and live it because it's a verb. This isn't a quiet time meditation to put on a poster. This is how to live. And what he's saying here is there's a right way to believe and there is a wrong way to believe. The right way to believe produces fearlessness and the wrong way to believe things produces fear. The Lord, think about it like this. If I'm in fear or dread, this is what I believe to be true. The Lord is not my light and my salvation. Therefore, I live in fear and dread. If I'm afraid of people or countries or terrorism or all these things, this is what I believe. The Lord is not my refuge and stronghold. Then who is? The police? Are they? Is that it? The military? Who's your refuge and stronghold? A politician? God help us. The economy, is that your stronghold? Where, who's your refuge and stronghold if it's not God? Because if it's not him, you better be afraid because you are going to lose. I promise, this is, this is the rules of the game. But if he is your refuge and stronghold, you don't have any reasonable thing to think about that should produce fear in you. You don't have it. Because God made you, he gave you an identity and a destiny, and he alone runs it. Not people in a car, not where I am in the world, him. And if that's true, why would I be afraid? Why would I be afraid? To be afraid means that what you believe about yourself and God is false. Confession is telling God the truth about what you believe about him and yourself. God, here's what I believe about you. You are not my stronghold. You are not my refuge because if you were, why is this happening to me? Has, is there anyone in the Bible that goes to the Lord and says, why is this happening if you're my stronghold and refuge? Why is this happening to me? We don't get it. What's going on? Anyone in the Bible do that? Everyone in the Bible does it. It's what the Bible's about. It's what happens when we're not connected with God. We get scared. We want to be in control. We got to control it because we're afraid because God's not going to do it. But the more I'm in control, the more fearful I am. Wow. He continues. He's remembering backwards. All cognition is recognition. All cognition is recognition. Everything I'm getting ready to do in the future is based on how my experiences in the past. Again, you don't have to be a follower of Christ to know this. My interpretation of what's happening to me sitting in that car is based on things I've learned from the past. Not about the reality of what's happening there and into the future because I don't know what that is. So what I can do, the only thing I can do is project a hypothetical view of what's going to happen in the future when I get in that car and it's all going to be bad. That's what we do. Hmm, let me think about the future. Bad, 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 bad. Why? Because, because Isaiah says this, Isaiah 26, he 
is kept in perfect peace, whose mind and imagination is fixed on him, on God, because he trusts in God for the present and the future. If my mind is fixed on God, God, what scenario do you see playing out here? And he tells me the scenario he sees, I'm fearless. Because he never loses. But if the scenario of the future is based on what I think, based on my experience, the enemy's right there to help me come up with some ideas. You're going to die. God's not going to show you're going to die. And fear comes in because now everything I'm believing is false. Truth sets you free. Deception imprisons you in a place where I've got to be in control and I can't be free and you are done. Then he starts to remember back. When the wicked, in the past, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat me up, to eat my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Wait a second. I remember this now when I went to fight Goliath. Wait a second. Wait, like I won. Like he didn't, he didn't win. Like it didn't look like any of us would win, but I went in in my own identity, David's saying, in my own identity, and I realized that ever since I was like 10, God had like, he had me out in the watching sheep, and when I was watching sheep, he was telling me two things were really important to know in life. How to write poems and how to throw rocks. And that's all I did. I just wrote poems, watched sheep, and threw rocks. And suddenly I realized he was making a king. One of the greatest kings ever, who was a warrior, poet, king. When did I start? Middle school. In a meaningless task. Never said there's no such thing as a meaningless task. False. You miss the training. And so when David sees Goliath, he's like, oh my gosh, I recognize the future of this because I've seen it in the past. When the lion came, the rock, I killed the lion and I wrote a poem about it. And then the bear, I killed the bear and wrote a poem about it. This is no different. Why would I be afraid? Everyone around him, him is afraid because they don't have their mind fixed on God and they don't, they've lost their identity as a country. One little kid knows. Yeah, a lot to say there. Here it is. He says in verse four, who's gonna wrap this up? In the summation of his life, I think right here, he says this, one thing. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek. Listen to this beautiful, the way he does this. One thing I will ask of the Lord that I will seek. He's talking about the two parts of his relationship with God. I'm asking something of the Lord that I cannot do myself, but what I can do, I will do. I will seek it. Paul says it like this. I labor, I labor according to his energy which energizes me. This one thing I will ask of the Lord that I will seek from him. It's like grabbing hold of him and saying, I want this from you because you made me to do this. But I can't do it without you. What is that identity that you have? You need to know it. One thing I ask of the Lord that I may dwell Pitch my tent is the Hebrew idea that I may pitch my tent in the house of the Lord in his presence 
every day of my life to do two things. Here's David's number one goal. I want to be in the presence of God every day of my life. In his presence, I want to do two things. One, I want to see everything through his beauty. I want to see every situation I'm in through his beauty. That means my mind is fixed on him and I will not fear, I will be at peace because I trust in his view of things. No matter what situation I'm in, my question to God is, where is your beauty in this? And when he shows me, I am at peace no matter what's happening. And so believers in the first century could go into a coliseum holding hands with their children as the lions come to eat them and they're filled with joy. How? Because they see the beauty and they're in the presence of God and they see the beauty in what's happening to them. Like Stephen and they look up and they say, oh my God, there you are. Before you take me into this amazing future, will you just forgive these guys that are doing this to us? Because they obviously don't know what they're doing. How can you do that? By gazing through his beauty at every situation, not through fear. I want to do two things in his presence every day. Gaze upon his beauty in all things and inquire of him. Inquire of him, ask him questions all day long, every day. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Instead of asking myself questions or my friends questions or the internet questions, him. Inquire of him because David says, for surely you will answer me. What if I could go through my whole life in every situation, knowing my identity, and in every situation I find myself in, professionally, vocationally, I'm seeing it through his beauty, and I'm always asking him questions on what to do and what to know. And he answers me. That's called prayer, real prayer. The guy looks at me and he says, what do you think of this? Uh-oh, I'm in the red. What do you think about this? And I say, I say, Lord, what do I think about this? Show me your beauty in this car. Like, this can't be something. I need to light a couple of candles. I need to fast for a week. It's like, now, 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 now. Right now, my relationship with the Lord has to be unhindered all the time. Now, I need to hear you right now. Here's what the Lord says to me in my heart. I just know his voice. He says, tell him that you're not afraid and that you want to be their friend. I'm like, both of those are lies. Like, that's a theological problem for me. Like, you're telling me to lie. I am afraid I hate his guts. Like, that's the truth. The Lord's like, trust me, I'll transform it as it comes out of your mouth. I'll make it true. I tell him, I'm not afraid and I want to be your friend. And I mean, immediately I know in the car that I am suddenly free. Like I'm free. I, it's almost like I could see the car. It's at night. It's like lighting up. And I knew that I won. I knew it was over right then. Because I heard the king. I began to see his beauty in the car. I asked him what to do. He told me and I knew I was going to win. I knew it because he always wins. The only time we can lose is when we disconnect from him. And I'll, like, I got this, Lord. I'll take care of these guys. And start crying. Because that's what I would do. And the guy says, he says to me, you want to be my friend? Yes. I'm actually starting to believe this myself. Yes, I think I do. I do? Yeah. 
faith is the substance of things we hope for. The evidence of the things we can't see yet. My friendship with him. Faith is a verb. So he says, you want to be my friend? Okay, we'll take you home tomorrow night. I'll send the car. You bring your wife with you in that car. And you go where that driver takes you. And you trust that we don't kill both of you. You want to be my friend? Like, okay. He takes me, drops me off at the house. I go in there. Donna's like, how was your day? He's like, we got a dinner invitation. That's exciting. Anyway, I've got to stop, but we went. And our son, I took our son with us. I wanted him to see what happened. This is how young people learn. By parents who aren't afraid. By parents who live a faith that's built on verbs and not talk. We go to the place. It was a very difficult, long night. But in the end of the night, we have a picture of this. The guy that was going to cut my throat got food because of what happened in his heart during the night. And he cooked food, and he knelt in front of me, and he served me like this. And he said, thank you for not being afraid of us and wanting to be our friend. And it transformed that group. You know who did that? God did it. You know what I got? I got the pleasure of being with him to watch that happen. And I am not afraid of those guys. You want to stop terrorism in the world? We need to live like that. That's how you need to live. And it is the most thrilling, exciting kind of freedom to not be afraid, to go out and do the things that God has for you to do unafraid because they will absolutely blow your mind. So we're going to do something right now. I'm going to get the band to come up here. Sorry, that was three minutes in the red, by the way. That scared me. Here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> we're going to take... We're going to take a couple of minutes. I want you to do... I'm going to pray, and what we're going to do is confession. Confession is not telling God you're sorry. Confession is telling God the truth about what you really believe about yourself and Him. Okay? What we're going to do is this. I'm going to pray, and we're going to have three by five cards handed out. If we could go ahead and do that. Is that what we're going to do? Yeah. Sorry? Okay, they're on, okay, you have them, right? Sorry. Rehearsal. <laughs> um, so you have them. So if you need a pen or if you don't have a card, peop, the ushers have them. We're gonna, I'm going to ask this question after I pray. I want you to say to God the thing that you're most afraid of. I want you to say it to him. I want you to, I want him to, you, you to ask him, what am I most afraid of in my life? And I want you to write down what that is. Confession is telling God the truth about what's really in your heart. He already knows it. So you're just going to agree with him on that. I want you to write that down. When we write that down, we're going to lay it at the cross. So we have these boxes up here. When you write that fear down, I want you to image in your mind taking it up to Jesus himself and handing that fear to him. And when you hand it to him and he takes it, he died so that you could be fearless people. When you hand it to him, I want you to ask him what he's giving you back in place of that fear. It's an exchange. Very simple. 
Write down your fear, bring it up here, drop it in the box, symbolic to giving it to Jesus, and ask him, what space that this fear has taken in my life that's now empty, what do you fill it with? Okay? If you have any questions about that later, you want to get into it deeper, you can talk to any of us here and get in a community group. Individualism was never a part of what the Bible is about. It's only about community. Satan is the individualist. The people of God are in community. All right, here we go. We're going to pray. The band's going to play. And we're going to write this down. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you again for these people. Lord, we ask now, in the name of Jesus, that in the fullness of your spirit, Lord, that you would guide us in truth. We just want to tell the truth to you right now. And Lord, so we want to start by, Lord, would you just show us, and you may already know this, but Lord, would you just show us, what am I most afraid of in life? What am I most afraid of in life? Would you just show me what that is, Lord? And then, and Lord, just help me to write it down. Just write it down. Don't think too long about it. Just, Lord, what's my biggest fear in life right now? Write it down. Bring it up. Stick it in the box. And when you go back and sit down, ask the Lord, what do you give me in place of that fear? And I would just suggest you write that down for yourself. Father, just lead us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.